0: My name is Craig Zerpolo, and welcome to Season 2 of Why Science, a podcast about behavioral and emotional health research at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond, Virginia. This series is produced by Kobe, the College Behavioral and Emotional Health Institute with the assistance of WVCW Student Radio and the Alt Lab at VCU. For more information, visit kobe.vcu.edu, wvcw.org, and altlab.vcu.edu. This show is supported in part by the National Institute for Alcohol Abuse and Alcoholism. Music for Season 2 of Why Science is provided by Butcher Brown. Stream their new EP, Virginia Noir, on Bandcamp at butcherbrown.bandcamp.com. Our guest is Dr. Peter Barr, a medical sociologist and researcher with the EDGE Lab at VCU, who focuses on the interaction of genes and the environment in substance use and mental health outcomes.
1: name is Peter Barr. I work in the EDGE lab as a postdoctoral fellow for Dr. Danielle Dick. Uh, My background is in medical sociology with uh, some interest in how genetics kind of come into that. So I've been working, doing a lot of stuff, looking at how things like education, social relationships, neighborhoods interact with genetic factors to influence substance abuse, all sorts of other kind of mental health and behavioral health outcomes.
0: How did your academic career begin? Did you have any interest in research as an undergraduate?
1: So I went straight through uh, undergraduate and graduate school at the University of Akron. I'm from Akron. I didn't actually go into college even knowing what sociology was. Um, like most 18 year olds, I don't think I had really any idea what I wanted to do. And uh, I had just come back. I had a break in college. I decided to join the National Guard. had gone on a deployment and I came back uh, trying to figure out what I wanted to continue doing. Uh, first I was thinking maybe like law law enforcement and the academic advisor there had suggested we have a sociology criminology track and it might be something I'd be interested in. So I was like okay I'll, uh, I'll try that out. Uh, I'd taken some criminology classes. Um, nothing had really I'd been interested in all of it but nothing had been like kind of like grabbed me uh, and said oh this is what I want to do with the rest of my life. I was still kind of like I'm just gonna use this to get my undergraduate degree. Go on do something else. And then I took a sociological theory class Uh, as an undergraduate. And that was when I kind of like sociology kind of grabbed me and uh, really spoke to me. Um, The ideas that we kind of grappled with in the class, you know, um, the reproduction of society, theories about the interplay between individual agency and social forces, kind of influencing individual behavior, kind of that uh, broad social theory were things I've always kind of like thought about growing up, but nothing that I've really kind of given uh, kind of some form to those ideas. So it was just, uh, it kind of blew me away. And I was like, this is this is what I want, this is what I want to do. And the professor for that class had told me, she's like, you know, maybe you should really think about going to graduate school. You seem to really do well with these things. And I had never even thought about graduate school at that point. I was like, whoa, uh, I never thought about that before. So uh, I decided, yeah, this is kind of what I want to do. Uh, and then I continued to take those sociology classes as an undergraduate really enjoying the theory part of things but not necessarily still understanding kind of what being a sociologist would be mean professionally I uh, started to take more research methods classes get into the actual kind of empirical side of it and it just continued to to build on there i was like oh these are the questions i can answer the ideas i can kind of like test and understand about that that balance between uh, social forces how those influence individual level things you know being able to actually measure and test those in a kind of scientific format. So it started with more the theory and the philosophy and then slowly moved more and more into the the actual science and testable part of it.
0: So obviously your career and interests have evolved over the years, but you stayed in the same place for undergrad and grad school. How did that impact the shift of your
1: interests over time? Once in graduate school, my my initial interests were more in criminology, still uh, deviance, and then uh, the the methods part of it kind of really, really started to speak to me. So the statistics, the quantitative methodology, I'd always enjoyed math growing up, but I never saw much practical application. So being able to apply statistics to real world problems with my interests mainly around mental health was like, cool, here's math. Here's how I can take it and use it to uh, apply math to help like solving issues of inequalities in health and uh, specifically mental health, substance use. so I thought it was just a kind of this progression of like not knowing what I want to do, which I feel is what most people come into college, at least maybe that's me just projecting that I wasn't the only one who was so clueless. But um coming in there and then, you know, this this idea, like this broad theories and ideas in sociology and then like refining that more and more into very specific scientific questions. It just it was a process, a still ongoing process that you know that's brought me here, you know, it's uh, refined even more to look now at the intersection between social and biological factors. It just shows that any point in time you don't know how something, some new idea, something you had no idea what it was before. Like I said when I was in high school or, or when I started college I had no idea what sociology was. I thought it was like isn't that just like psychology? Because I had no sociology classes in in high school. So that idea just kind of grabbed me and has set me on this career trajectory for the past several years now to where I'm at now.
0: I feel like a lot of the people that I meet in academia didn't have as linear of a career path as some people might think. since you followed your passions and let them carry you through different decisions, what would you suggest as a good first step for someone who similarly doesn't know what they want to study?
1: I imagine some people have ideas about what they would like to do, uh, but you know, I think the college experience really is meant to open your mind and expose you to different ideas. So just because something sounds like it's not something you're going to be interested, at the you know the start of your college career uh, try it you might be surprised you might completely fall in love with it I never had any intention of being an academic and here I am and uh, steeped deep in kind of science every day and it's it's super cool it's you get to answer all the questions you're curious about and uh, who doesn't want to do that was it that drive to answer your
0: questions about the world that carried you from Akron to Richmond and working at VCU?
1: Just like everything else that's happened to me, it's almost like, I don't like to say fate, but it's just this series of kind of coincidences that have like set me on a path for uh, where we are. So, you know, I just happened to fall into sociology and fell in love with it. Uh, and then one of the people on my dissertation committee is also a member of RSA, the Research Society on Alcoholism. And uh, Dr. Dick had put out a job post looking for a postdoc right around the time when I was looking. So I'd applied for a bunch of postdocs. I wasn't ready quite to go for the tenure track job market. So I had applied to several different postdocs. And then this one popped up on the RSA listserv. And he sent it to me and I applied for it. It was uh, at a time. So I've always been kind of interested in that intersection between uh, sociological phenomenon and then like biological things, specifically like genetics. And the job posting was it was kind of like all the things I wanted. It was looking at gene environment interaction using longitudinal data focusing on substance use and mental health outcomes. I was like, wow, you know, I'd always kind of read stuff about different sociologists getting into the field of genetics, but I never knew if I'd had the opportunity because it's a very niche field. So I saw this job posting and I was like, this is what I want to do. And I applied and Danielle got back to me real fast. We kind of had one or two interviews and she was like, I think I want to bring you on. And I was like, this is what I was meant to be. So long story short, it was like everything else. It seems a right place at the right time, doing something I really love now.
0: Now that you've broken into that niche field of sociologists who also work in genetics, what are the questions you're trying to answer?
1: I won't go into the big detail of uh, the social determinants of health because uh, it's a broad literature, but there's a lot of it that focuses on neighborhoods, and that draws heavily on criminological theory, on basically the disadvantaged and disordered neighborhoods uh, have negative health consequences for the people who live there. So um, that is, was the focus of my dissertation. And now that's kind of what I'm look, moving into now. I'm working uh, on projects now using both twin data and molecular genetics to understand how those neighborhood level factors interact with genetic predispositions for alcohol use and broader kind of behavioral problems and how those influence the genetic influences on those outcomes.
0: WORKING AT THIS CROSSROADS OF QUANTITATIVE AND QUALITATIVE SCIENCES, HAVE YOU DISCOVERED ANYTHING IN YOUR WORK THAT WAS REALLY UNEXPECTED? WE HAD A
1: RECENT PUBLICATION uh, LOOKING AT EDUCATION AND ALCOHOL USE. AND THERE'S A HUGE LITERATURE ON EDUCATION AND HEALTH IN PUBLIC HEALTH RESEARCH, MEDICAL SOCIOLOGY ON HOW the, the, THE BENEFITS OF MORE EDUCATION ON HEALTH Uh, So we looked at, using twins, the effect of education on genetic predisposition for alcohol use. So do genetic factors have stronger influences on alcohol use outcomes for individuals who are of higher education or of lower education? And what we find is that uh, it didn't influence genetic uh, predisposition for alcohol use whatsoever. It didn't uh, kind of shape those factors. What it did do was alter the importance of environmental influences. So at lower education, environmental influences on these different alcohol use outcomes were much stronger than at higher education. So it was kind of uh, surprising
0: Looking forward, what excites you the most about the future of your work and your field of study?
1: I'm excited to get more into the molecular side of things, to get more training in that aspect, and really start testing some of the ideas uh, with different aspects of neighborhoods, specifically neighborhood disadvantage. I spent most of the summer working on like a training grant to, to fund some of those ideas that I want to look at next. So, so we, looked, we looked at them a lot cross-sectionally, so now I'd like to take those into more longitudinal uh, analyses. So start looking at, okay, this is how it happens at time X, but what is kind of the broader picture, like, over a longer life course period, uh, especially when you look at, like, early adolescence, like, what factors there kind of influence these things for long periods of time. So taking that, like, snapshot and starting to step back and looking at a broader kind of uh, picture of the life course.
0: Thanks to our guest, Dr. Peter Barr, for chatting with us, and thank you for listening. Join us every other Thursday for a new episode of Why Science at kobe.vcu.edu.